Hey there! You're listening to the first full season of Flint Flora. This season will actually take you through all four seasons of the fascinating botanic ecosystem right here in Flint, Michigan. Beginning with late summer, we will move through fall, winter, spring, and early summer, discovering the hidden lives of plants like juniper, goldenrod, and Kentucky coffee tree. We'll be posting pictures to go with each episode on our website at flintpodcasting.com slash flintflora. We would love to see your own pictures, which you can share with us on Facebook at Flint Podcasting and on Twitter at Flint Podcasting. Now on to the episode. What? <laughs> what? Okay, so I've been falsely hating this plant for my whole life. I don't know. Your brain exploding right now. I know we're gonna we're gonna change your perception. Welcome to Flint Flora, a journey through the botanical diversity of Flint, Michigan. My name is Jim Cohen, and I'm a plant enthusiast. I'm excited to share my passion for plants with you and showcase the botanical wonders that are often hiding right in front of us. Come along as we discover the interesting, intriguing, and intoxicating aspects of the local flora of this exciting Rust Belt city. Where are we today? Because we are actually not in Wilson Park today. Yeah, we're not in Wilson Park. We are, God, it is, I guess, sort of in between Crapo and, what is this, Albert R. Horgan Drive by Gilkey Creek, um, sort of in between this baseball field and um, the entrance to uh, Mott Community College, which I guess is a really long introduction. We're also <laughs> right next to um, some abandoned school building. What Do you know what school building that is? So Central is the next one over. So I think this is Whittier. Okay. And this right here is the Apprentice Building. Yeah, it's a really creepy building. I'd like to come back at night on Halloween or something, see if there's any ghosts. I don't know. Okay, so um, so now we know where we are geographically. What are we talking about today? Okay, so we're over here because today I wanted to talk about goldenrods or solidago. Unlike our last few um, podcasts that we've been talking specifically about a particular species. This time, I think we have a couple different types of goldenrods around, at least, well, there's at least one. I think there might be a couple. And so we're going a little more general to talk about the genus, Solidago, as opposed to specifically one type of goldenrod. Okay, cool. And I also want to say that this is especially timely because I associate goldenrod with feeling like death <laughs> and so I would like to thank this pretty yellow flower for causing terrible allergies in the fall and it's now yeah. mid-September so perfect time to be talking about this. Yeah. So Stacey I have to first of all say I agree with you I find this to be um, that this plant reminds me of late summer autumn when it comes out you'll start to see it at least in michigan is where we are in flint in august september when it becomes really prevalent it has this beautiful yellow color hence the name goldenrod but it is not actually the plant that is causing allergies 
What? <laughs> what? Okay, so I've been falsely hating this plant for my whole life. I don't know. Your brain exploding right now. <laughs> I know we're gonna we're gonna change your perception of it. So goldenrod seems to flower at the same time as another plant that probably is causing your allergies, which is ragweed. Queen Anne's lace, right? Well, Queen Anne's lace might be also. So oh, they're not I, the same thing. No. No, so Queen Anne's lace is actually, we can talk about this another time as well, is wild carrot. So the domesticated carrot that we have in our salads or roast up, or I guess just eat raw, that is a um, cultivated um, bred version of Queen Anne's lace. That's really interesting. That sounds like a good future podcast. <laughs> exactly. So I have this, this very distinct memory when I used to work out at Point Reyes National Seashore. My botany professor came out there with his family and we drove around the area. And he was talking about how his allergies were bothering him. And there was this um, bean plant that was in flower there. And his daughter pointed at it and said, that's probably causing it. And I remember him saying, plants that are flowers that are showy so plants that have showy flowers so colorful ones bright ones don't tend to be those that are going to cause allergies and so like we see here well actually we're seeing a lot of bees that are visiting these plants and what they're doing is getting all of that sticky pollen on them and transferring it around from one plant to another from one flower to another and so what is likely going to be causing allergies would be the plants that have flowers that are not particularly showy, that don't have big petals, that don't have these floral displays, uh, and instead have these sort of dangling anthers and the pollen is just going to be dispersed by the wind. So what you're saying is like, because this is a showy flower, they'll attract the bees and the bees can do the work for them of dispersing the pollen. Yeah, exactly. And so they're sort of enticing the bees to come to them. And then the bees will be able to take that pollen and move it to another plant. So what could so what's really causing my allergies then is an ugly plant <laughs> that can attract the bees. So it has to find its uh, it has to use the wind then to transport its pollen. Exactly. That's definitely what's going on. So you can I don't know thought you have to necessarily apologize to the goldenrod, but you can, you know, have a new appreciation for it. Okay, so <laughs> I need to transfer this hatred to another plant, though, so I will find that ugly ragweed and curse it. <laughs> exactly. I, I think that makes a lot more sense. Okay. <laughs> all right, so what else is cool? That, okay, so I've all, I mean, I've already, like, went from not hating to slightly appreciating the flower why else should i like this flower well so i am not someone who is really into the plant family asteraceae or as it's also known compositae so this is an example this goldenrods are in that group called comps to use the sort of botanical vernacular for that um, what's really neat so let's grab some right here, not get stung. I don't have my EpiPen. <laughs> About them is when we look at this, you think that when you see one of these, that this is a flower. So each of these little structures right here is a flower, but that's actually not the case. So if we open one of these up, which let me see if I can do it. So right now we're opening this tiny, it actually looks like a teeny tiny 
little dandelion like it's like a speck on the end of my pinky (laughs) finger it's that small so what we see though is that right there that's the flower each of these little structures right here so if we look at let's take another one maybe we can see it a little better so if we look at this right here there are all these little things in there that are flowers Wait, so that little thing that, you, that you're that you pulling out, that the little thing that looks like a tiny dandelion, that's not even the flower? The flowers are inside of that? Yeah, so this is, I guess, what we could call like a head. A bunch of little flowers are in there together. Wow, and so, I mean, they probably have to be the size of like the tip of a, like a, a pin. pin. Yeah, no, they're super small and they're packed in together. And so you can see... You know, here would be some of the petals that are coming out. Um, let's see if we can find another one right here. Right there. See, those would be the anthers coming out from inside the petals right there. So they're wow. exerted through there. And there would be, you know, just a couple flowers in each of these little inflorescences. So when you're looking at a gold, I mean, most people probably would see the golden rods from far away. So you see the yellow and it looks like branches with like a bunch of like little yellow kind of leaves sticking off of it each of those what looks like a little leaf if you get right up close to it inside that little tiny leaf are a bunch of little even teeny tinier flowers that's that's so crazy (laughs) yeah and that's the way it is with everything in this plant family at least everything that we see in michigan so if you look at a dandelion that has lots and lots of flowers in it sunflowers it's the same way and so you can break them apart and look at all of the flowers that are in these inflorescences so if you take something well if you take sort of an elongated inflorescence like all the flowers on a mint and push them together then what you'd see is something like we're looking at here so are you saying that like a sunflower like the the thing that looks like a sun like that's not a flower there are a bunch of flowers inside of that that is exactly what i'm saying wow i'm just okay second brain explosion of the episode this is awesome (laughs) yeah um so another plant that maybe we'll talk about in the future that's out in the fall or late summer is chicory and you can see it growing in sort of waste areas we it's pretty weedy and it's the same same plant family it has a bunch of little flowers that are part of it and they're really beautiful blue color i guess sort of go blue (laughs) very (laughs) appropriate (laughs) nice plug yes But this has the same one, same type of arrangement here. So it's pretty neat. And what's also something that is really hard to see in these teeny tiny flowers is that the anthers actually form a ring uh, that's connected. And the style, when it elongates, is going to shoot up right through the middle of it. And that's why people who study comps, who study asteraceae, are called synanthrologists. Also for the cool name. I mean, that's why I would do it. I, you know, I have to say that's probably the coolest thing about studying Asteraceae is being called, being able to call yourself a synanthrologist. So what's interesting, so we have this big clump of dandelions right here. And so we have some that we're looking at and there's some off in the distance. There's some... You mean golden rats? Did I say dandelions? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we see this big clump of golden rods in front of us. We have a clump to the left, a clump to the right. 
And frequently what you might think is that these are all plants that have grown from seed. But dandelions actually grow a lot clonally. <laughs> Golden rods? Did I say it again? <laughs> <laughs> They're calm. This is awesome. They're calm. What do you what do you want me to do? Um <clears throat> Yeah, so goldenrods, actually dandelions grow clonally as well, but that's, that's separately. So goldenrods are going to grow clonally. So even if we are looking at this large patch that is, what, maybe 15 feet in length, they all might be the same, they almost have the same genotype, the same genetic makeup. Like they all came from one seed and then cloned themselves? Yeah, essentially. So there's a great name for this when you see this situation where all the plants come from the same individual or are derived from that where they're all clones of one another they're called ramets ramets yeah and if they are separate individuals that have grown from seed they'd be called genets now the reason that i want to bring this up is because i've always thought that there should be a band name Called the called the ramets. Called the genets and the ramets. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but it's also very appropriate to think about this with goldenrods because, you know, we think about monocultures, for example, when we're thinking about our food. So if you know, we're in Michigan, it's the beginning of apple season. All the apples might have the same genetic makeup, or one variety like Honeycrisp might have the same genetic makeup which means that if there is a pest or a disease that's affecting it, they're all gonna be affected. There's you know, not enough variation. And that's similar to what we would see with goldenrods, is that if they all have the same genotype, the same type of genes that are making them up, then there can be some issues with them being able to, I guess I'll say sort of deal with pests, deal with parasites and um, deal with any sort of, or have resistance to these. Yeah, so they couldn't like um, selectively, um, oh, I just can't even, they, Natu- the, the, the natural selection kind of thing wouldn't, it would just take them all out instead of the, the strongest one kind of winning. Right, exactly. Um, related to that though, is something else that's notable about goldenrod. So we don't see it here right now, but goldenrods have a, I guess I could call it um, parasitic relationship with various types of insects. So there are insects that will basically co-op the, the cells of goldenrods and cause them to have these little spherical structures in them where the insects will live inside the stem of the goldenrod. And these are called galls, where the insects are going to live. And s- certain species of insect will parasitize certain species of goldenrod. And what's notable about this is, as you, you know, as we were talking about with resistance, some of the golden, no, the goldenrods will have to eventually build up the resistance to the insects you know they don't want the insects you know it doesn't harm them too much but they don't want to be parasitized i don't think any organism really actively wants that Uh, to anthropomorphize a bit right (laughs) (laughs) and then what will happen is the insects will be able to figure out ways to sort of find their way into the goldenrod again the goldenrod will build up resistance the insect will be able to figure out 
a way to get in, create goals. And so there's a great name, a couple of great names for this actually. It's called an evolutionary arms race, but the sort of reciprocal buildup of these arms, the reason that we see this reciprocal nature of the evolutionary arms race is the, called the Red Queen Hypothesis. And this is derived, as you can imagine, from the Red Queen from Through the Looking Glass from Alice in Wonderland. I love Alice in Wonderland. So here, here's the great quote for you. Um, as the Red Queen told Alice, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. So that's what these plants are having to do. They are having to make sure that they are not being parasitized by the insects. And then once they do that, the insects are going to figure out a way to create the galls again. And then the plant needs to figure out a way to have resistance and so on and so on. And this is not the only type of plant that does this. No, this is something that happens with all types of organisms. It reminds me, I, that's um, what I hear about like hackers in tech oh, yeah. <laughs> and that like the hackers are kind of always like one step ahead and then they figure out better ways to encrypt things and then the hacker and it's like it's just constant back and forth the hackers figure it out and then they keep trying to encrypt better and you're never quite safe yeah definitely and it's same type of thing although that i guess they're both kind of scary when you think about yeah. it <laughs> but next time i hear them talk about that i'll be like ah the red queen theory yes the red <laughs> yes the red queen hypothesis so there are a number of species of goldenrods it is primarily a north american group there are about 100 species worldwide with the vast majority a little over three quarters being present in the um, in the new world so there's a great quote from the michigan flora about this online where first they say that the species are generally easy to recognize when they're in the appropriate habitat and with the typical inflorescences and leaves but then later on if you keep reading in the michigan flora they say in many species the inflorescences vary the inflorescence varies considerably which makes you wonder how easy it is to be able to actually identify some of these species under different types of conditions and so in my opinion goldenrod taxonomy is really quite hard so trying to be able to differentiate these species so like you can tell that it's a goldenrod but you're not sure what kind of goldenrod Yes, that would be a very nice way of saying it. Okay. Um, sometimes they have, and the diversity of inflorescences is pretty neat with this, I think. So the way that the flowers are arranged, sometimes they are arranged kind of in a flat top, and you can kind of see that here. Um, and other times, so if you look over there with that one, it has kind of a pyramid shape to it. Mm -hmm. And so you have these different these different types of arrangements of the flowers, which is pretty neat to be able to see. Just sort of getting a sense of the diversity that exists and yeah, getting a sense of the diversity that exists. But so identifying them to species, I think can be kind of challenging, but being able to figure out that it's a goldenrod is much easier to do. I think that's cool though, like, you know, to me, a goldenrod is a goldenrod is a goldenrod. <laughs> and it's like, it's cool to, you know, look out at it and say, oh, well, it's a goldenrod, but there could be like multiple species that I'm looking at still. Yeah, exactly. Or they're all the same species and something, you know, their development is just a little different. And so sometimes the um, inflorescence head is less condensed than other times. 
And so sometimes it has this nice pyramidal shape. Other times, well, maybe it's a little looser. Maybe it's a little more flat top and doesn't conform to how we might think of um, particular goldenrods. <coughs> cool. So th they've actually, or I guess botanists have segregated some of the species, the ones that have flat tops, into a different genus. But it turns out, or at least the recent evidence shows that that's actually just sort of an evolutionary offshoot of the larger group that has these more diverse types of inflorescences. But I think frequently we think that science has all the answers and we figured it all out, but that's not the case. And this is a good example where we're still really trying to figure out how to demarcate goldenrods and you know, the evolutionary relationships of the species. So it's still very much a work in progress. So are there scientists that are like, yes, goldenrods, that's my thing. Or like your, um, your one <laughs> professor, like there are these graduate students out there, like I'm writing my thesis on goldenrods. Oh yeah, I was just looking at a paper that was published actually by a, a he was either a grad student or a postdoc at the University of Michigan, looking at a group of goldenrods and the way that sort of through evolutionary time they have moved around the northern hemisphere. Cool. So <laughs> we, got, we do have goldenrod people out there. Oh, yeah, there definitely are. There's a golden, we're probably near, there's a goldenrod person in Canada. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe he'll listen to this episode. <laughs> or she. <laughs> No, don't worry, we've got him. He's a he. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. There are, I guess, two other notable aspects of goldenrods that I want to talk about. The first is that, as we've talked about with all plants so far, there are medicinal uses of these. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going, I, I wouldn't have even thought about asking you about <laughs> eating these plants. And that's like the best part <laughs> <laughs> so this one though i have to tell you i didn't find any information suggesting that they would poison you hmm. so you can go ahead and eat as much as you want although in theory maybe too much goldenrod is not good for you but i didn't find any information suggesting that it's as poisonous as the other plants we've been talking about Okay, so maybe it's just Wilson Park, man. Like, we leave Wilson Park and we find a non-poisonous plant. Now, do people actually eat it? No, I don't think people eat, uh, eat goldenrods, but they have been used for, let's see, they seem to have secondary compounds, so chemicals that they produce that, have been, that could be used for neuro neurodegenerative diseases, for coughing fits, for uh, liver diseases, supposedly although this is from uh, homeopathy so there are possibly some issues with this they could be used for kidney diseases as well so there are plenty of potential medicinal uses of this plant and this is solidago in general so all uh, the goldenrod species that have been studied for this not just one particular one that's interesting. I think um, our scientist friend up in Canada should do some research into that because we've there's just such a bounty of it. I'd love to be able to come out here and clip some and make some tea out of it and help a cough in the winter. Can, can make tea out of it. All so, right. Hey, next time go. I have a cough, I'll come get some goldenrod. <laughs> so related to that, though, these chemicals that they produce, they can actually inhibit other plants from growing around them. That's 
you know, actually not the case. We can see there are plenty of plants growing around them right here, but they are what's called allelopathic, meaning that they are going to release various types of chemicals that are going to have a, what's the word I want to say? A deterrent? There we go. Yes, they're going to have a deterring effect on other plants being able to grow in the area, even other goldenrods being able to grow in the area. And that's not something that's uncommon. So if you are a gardener and you have a black walnut growing in your garden, there are only particular species you can plant around the black walnut. And that's because it's going to produce these chemicals from the root that are going to make it difficult for, for lots of species to grow there. So you're saying that black walnut does the same thing as the goldenrod? Black walnut does that. Um, there are plenty of other plants that are going to do that as well. Oh my gosh. I have to tell my mom this because so we have a black walnut in my parents house um where the house where i grew up and my mom tried so hard to grow like so there's this black walnut at the bottom of a hill and along going up the side of the house up this hill we had these planter boxes like built into the into the ground tried to grow and like maybe one or two things would grow and everything else would die and my mom thought that she just had a had like didn't have a green thumb or something i'm gonna have to tell her it's the black walnut yeah no it's not your mom's fault okay. or at least maybe not entirely <laughs> the black walnut um yeah can have an effect you, there are uh, lists of plants that grow well with black walnuts huh. well mom if you, hopefully you're listening to this it's not your fault <laughs> all right so um so is that it was those, what's up the two things okay so the last thing to mention uh and this is something that is common not common, certainly not uncommon in plants, is that in goldenrods, within the genus, as well as within particular species, there is variation in chromosome number. So we're used to thinking of chromosomes in terms of our chromosomes. So I think we frequently think that everything has 23 chromosomes. But that's not... Or 23. I'm going to get in trouble with that one. 23 pairs of chromosomes. But that's not the case. And plants have this whole diversity of chromosome numbers that can exist. And so plants can be diploid, like we are, having two sets of chromosomes. And others can have four sets of chromosomes or six sets of chromosomes. And this can vary from species to species as ter in terms of the sort of number of sets of chromosomes that they can have, or they can vary within a species where some individuals are diploid, meaning they have two sets of chromosomes like us, and others are tetraploid, meaning that they can have four sets of chromosomes. So what, so what does that mean for the plant? So it means that there can be, it means it's going to have basically twice as much genetic diversity, or at least potentially twice as much genetic diversity as it otherwise would. It also means, and this is where things get really interesting, well, there are a number of ways where it gets interesting, certainly with plants, but if we have a species that is diploid and all of a sudden it becomes tetraploid, it's not going to be able to produce fertile offspring between the two different ploidy levels. So you have one that's 2x, one that's 4x, x being the sets of chromosomes. And when they reproduce, they're going to have an individual that has three sets of chromosomes. 
which is going to kind of make it difficult to undergo particular types of cell division. And so you have essentially immediate speciation between these two different or plants with these two different sets of chromosomes. What does that mean, immediate speciation? It means that if we're thinking about this in terms of species being able to breed with each other, that they are considered to be, they would be considered to be separate species. And so you can have immediate differentiation of these two, two different groups of plants based solely on chromosome number, even though they might look identical. So it would be like if you know, there were humans that were walking around that looked basically the same as us, but if we bred with them, we wouldn't be able to produce fertile offspring. Okay, so you're saying like two sets and four sets can breed together, but the three sets can't? I am. Um, we might have gotten too much into the weeds yeah. on this one. So actually, um, <laughs> speaking of weeds, is, is goldenrod a weed? So it really depends. I mean, a weed, in my opinion, is a plant that's growing in a place you don't want it to grow. So goldenrod could be considered a weed, but I think it might be more appropriate to say that it's kind of variable, or a lot of this, at least some of the species are kind of variable in their habitat requirements. And so they can grow in places like we're seeing here that are not natural areas, sort of like not necessarily waste areas, but areas where there might be a lot of other weedy species. But I don't usually think of goldenrod as being weedy in like growing in a lot of gardens or anything like that. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. So anything else about the goldenrod? Uh, no, it's beautiful. We should um, not hate on it too much. And yeah, it's a it's really a, a lovely fall plant or late summer plant. And it's nice because it is, um, I guess, foreshadowing a change in seasons, which is you know, always kind of welcome at the end of summer. Agreed. I love fall. So, so cool. I can now when I see goldenrod, I can be excited for fall and not blaming it for my allergies. <laughs> yes, I think that sounds like a good plan. Awesome. Okay, so um, again, we're next to the old, what did you say, Whittier? Yeah, Whittier. Whittier, um, kind of near uh, Court and Crapo, like by the baseball diamond. So come check out the goldenrod or goldenrod around you. There's goldenrods everywhere. Golden so everywhere. yeah, so take pictures, take some selfies, and where can they send them? What? Oh, put them, or I guess, tweet at me, at Botanicoen. Or put them, uh, or, or share them with us on Facebook at Flint Podcasting Company. Oh. Till next time. Until next time. <laughs> this episode of Flint Flora was hosted by me, Jim Cohen, edited by Stacy Sherman, and produced by Flint Podcasting Company. For more episodes, find and subscribe on iTunes or visit Flint Podcasting Company at flintpodcasting.com.